Hi, welcome to Clarity with Diamond Standard. This is a podcast that talks about investment themes that impact the diamond commodity and the wider precious metals market. I'm your host, Amelia Bordeaux from Diamond Standard, and I'm joined today with by my colleague from Diamond Standard, Nishiva Chan, and our guest, Mike Dorenzo, who is Executive Director and Secretary of the Silver Institute. Mike, we're so glad you could be here today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. I just wanted to let our listeners know that for today's discussion, we're going to talk about the World Silver Survey, which was just recently released. It's the flagship publication of the Silver Institute. You can download it for free on their website at silverinstitute.org. And we're also going to link it in our show notes. So I believe you've just been on kind of a around the world trip sort of regarding this survey. And I think you saw Nishiva maybe too on that trip. I did. I had the ultimate pleasure of seeing Nishiva in New York City and thank you for coming. We did a, uh, we, we've done this event now for, since 1990. Now I haven't been here since 1990, but in 1990, the, uh, the Silver Institute put out the World Silver Survey. So we're 33 years into it now. And uh, we do an event in New York. We, Follow that up right on back to back and go to Mexico. And this year we have the opportunity to participate in a conference on silver specifically in India. So after Mexico, we flew to India and attended the Indian uh, Silver Conference, which was fantastic. Um, It's a huge player in the market, as you'll you'll learn if you read the survey and probably throughout this uh, podcast today. Great. Well, Nishiba, since you attended uh, the presentation in New York, I'll, you should ask the first question. It really was, and I really do appreciate the invite. It's such a treat and such a great event to be able to participate in. I, I always you. enjoy the Q&A uh, after the surveys released as well. And there were so many interesting things to really unpack in the survey. Why don't we start with uh, silver demand? Sure. So silver demand last year, if you look at I mean, literally, if you look at last year, it was just a record year for silver um, on the demand side. So we had a nice recovery in 2021 coming off the COVID year of 2020. Uh, But even though it took a major leap last year or in 2021, it really went forward to achieve new highs in both industrial demand, overall demand, investment demand, jewelry demand and silverware demand. Uh, so all major categories of silver um, hit new highs. And the exceptions were photographic use and brazen and alloys. But all other fabrication sectors hit new highs. And some of these highs were reflected by the green economy. Um, for example, in electronics and electrical, uh, photovoltaics, otherwise known as PV, consumed about 140 million ounces of silver last year which was a record high. Uh, So industrial demand was supported by the electrification um, within the automotive sector as well. And people say, well, where is silver in the automotive industry? Well, it's really in and throughout your entire car. It's in the contacts that make all the electrical components, your info systems, your entertainment systems. uh, You're turning your car on and off. It's all, it all relies on a tiny amount of silver which adds up through the car. When you look at the complexity of vehicles, when you look at the electric vehicles, which are on the road now, which were about 6 to 7% of all U.S. sales 
in 2022, and that's projected to grow even further, um, the amount of silver is even more um, and will be more when we get to autonomous driving down the road because silver, as you know, is the best conductor of electricity. And as such, you need more and more silver um, in the car. It was, in, it, ironically, it was, many people don't know that when you turn on your rear window defroster and you see those little lines, really, you don't have to worry about this in Florida, but Nashiva in, in New York, you, 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 our, our cars accumulate ice, Nashiva, if you didn't know. And so you turn on the defroster and it, it melts the snow or the ice on your rear window. And that's all due to silver. There's thin lines of silver film which heat up and melt the ice and snow. So it's really throughout your car. We have a report on our website, which you outlined at silverinstitute.org, on silver's role in the automotive industry. We think today there's about 65 to 70 million ounces of silver in automotives. We think it's going to grow to about 90 to 95 million ounces by 2025. Interesting. Well, I want to make a couple of points about that. Uh, the first is off the cuff. I think, Nashiva, you're one of the rare New Yorkers that actually has a car. And then the <laughs> second point, anecdotally for me, is just here in Florida, we've obviously seen a lot of Teslas for a while now. But just mm -hmm. more recently, I'm seeing a lot more um, Rivians. And I just saw my first Lucid uh, in the neighborhood the other day. So kind of interesting that we're seeing more uh, different types of companies with EV. Uh, driving around. But we should get back to um, maybe that record demand last year for silver. Uh, can you talk more? Uh, because we are in obviously diamonds and right now right. until we financialize diamonds, um, they're mostly used um, for jewelry. Sure. So could you talk about jewelry demand in, yes. in India? I'd be happy that to. Related to the pandemic at all? Or? Uh, I'd, be, I'd be really happy to. You know, jewelry is one of the main factors that complete the whole uh, demand dynamic for silver. Um, and the Silver Institute itself pays a lot of attention to silver jewelry through various programs um, and sponsorships of uh, and advertisements and leading jewelry type mag uh, magazines and other publications. But last year we saw a record year for silver jewelry. It soared by about 29% to over 230 million ounces. Um, and this was really primarily led by, led by India. And they had a lot of pent-up demand um, combined with a lot of heavy restocking by the retailers. And they also moved to, to higher purities in all their metals and silver specifically. So it saw volumes double when, when compared to 2021 in that country. But we also saw gains in Europe. We saw higher consumption um, in, in other countries, and we saw a small decrease uh, in Italy, um, and that's where we were with jewelry. We expect that this year, 2023, it's going to be hard to meet that number that we saw last year, but even so, it's going to be an historically high number for 2023 with respect to silver jewelry demand. That's, yeah, interesting. I. The thing about uh, diamonds is in the U.S., which is the largest consumer market for diamonds, mm -hmm. um, 
they're mostly used at one of the bellwethers for the diamond industry is actually U.S. engagement rings. And so when you kind of speak um, to some of the, the jewelry companies, they actually expect more engagements next year in 2024 because kind of the pandemic <laughs> disrupted the dating cycle, apparently. So uh, <laughs> we're looking at selling more engagement rings in 2024. Uh, that's according to... Um, you know, Signet and some of these larger jewelry companies. But I wonder if we're silverware, because sometimes that's a gift in a registry for weddings. I wonder if we'll see higher silverware demand in 2024 as well. I think, you know, silverware demand uh, was really outstanding last year. You had an 80% increase versus 2021. Uh, this year, we think it's going to be a tiny bit smaller in terms of uh, demand for silverware. But again, countries like India and China, which are very important to the to the silverware uh, market. And it's not just the utensils, it's all goods that are made out of silver. And those okay. two countries specifically have a lot of gifting. Typically in the United States with silverware and silverwares, uh, you'll see a lot of Mother's Day gifts and so forth, and engagement gifts and uh, uh, other gifting, uh, which is sort of a seasonality type of uh, measure in the United States. But in India and in China, but India specifically, um, we think it's going to be a strong year, but it's not going to be as strong as it was last year. That makes sense. Maybe we've kind of maybe talked a little bit about the consumer market with jewelry. What about um, institutions and institutional sure. demand? Can you speak to that? Because it was a kind of a wild year last year in 2022. I mean, the Fed... Um, in one year's time has hiked uh, about 500 basis points and, and that's disrupted markets in, in different ways. What happened with institutional investors in silver? Well, you know, we talk about institutional and we separate it obviously with the retail investor. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the retail investor is really the bread and butter of the silver market. Those are the folks that are buying the bars and coins. All right. And they actually, actually last year had a, uh, a, a phenomenal year. I mean, retail investment grew for the for five years going to last year, a new high of over 330 million ounces. And that, again, was led by India. So India really was the story of the silver market last year. But when you look at bars and coins, um, and if you take the United States, for example, it was almost impossible to get a, your hands on a bar or a silver coin, an American Eagle, for example. And if you were able to, there were high premiums. Um, attached to those uh, those products. So Australian investment rose by about 15%. Um, Germany uh, was somewhat flat last year, which is unusual, but not surprisingly because of they, in, they instituted a VAT tax on, um, uh, and it was a sudden change on uh, precious metals, but mostly silver. So we saw a great year for retail investment. Institutional investment sort of grew at the beginning of the year, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but these subsequent Fed hikes throughout the year really put a burden on um, gold and silver prices throughout the year. And it was the institutional investment which somewhat hamstrung the silver price uh, last year. Interesting. So. I wanted to talk more a little bit more about retail investors in silver. I when I'm kind of on FinTwit or I, you know, I'm I'm searching around Bloomberg for articles and things on on um precious metals and I look at silver kind of compared to gold. I notice that they people in general in the financial markets, for whatever reason, they talk about gold more in macro terms. 
and they tend to talk about silver, I find, more in technical levels. They're, they're very concerned right. with the technical levels of silver. Yeah. Like, and maybe that just shows that they, do you think they intraday trade it more or is that a retail kind of phenomenon? You know, at the retail level with silver, you're finding that, and this even, this goes not only for physical silver bars and coins, but also for ETPs, exchange traded products or exchange traded funds. Uh, silver investors are somewhat sticky. They'll hold on to that product for a lot longer than a gold investor. Oh, okay. They'll, they'll, they'll really hold on to it for a longer time. Last year, however, though, we did see a small decrease in ETP uh, investment into, uh, into silver-backed ETPs. Uh, but what is surprising on the retail level is how little uh, selling back of silver bars and coins ha has taken place, um, mm -hmm. which has really been led by U.S. retail investors. And if you take the years 2010 to 2020-22, the U.S. market absorbed about 1.2 billion ounces of silver bars and coins. Okay, and that's a tremendous quantity. Yet the dealer community has yet to contend with only very modest levels of silver buyback. So people are buying and they're holding and they're not converting it into ETPs or other products. So if you talk to a coin dealer or one of the 13 authorized purchasers of American Eagles, demand even today is through the roof. But also the premiums are there as well. So the U.S. Mint, for example, cannot keep up, keep up with demand. Um, it's a manufacturing issue. It's not a demand issue. It just depends on how fast and quickly they can get the blanks to the mints to print, or I'm sorry, to mint these coins. And I think that's one of the more interesting facts as far as some of those demand numbers and even seeing some of the deficit numbers. It mm -hmm. was really quite staggering. Yeah. You know, the deficit last year uh, was was quite <coughs> outstanding. Uh, nearly 240 million ounces of silver um, w w was was our deficit last year. And that was the second year of, of silver market deficits. And we proclaim that we are in a new era of deficit markets. We think there's going to be about 141 million ounces uh, of a deficit this year. And um, now that metal... The demand um, is met by supply of, from above ground stocks. So it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be newly mined silver at this point. But who knows if these deficits keep continuing at this level, 140, 237 and so forth. Um, that poses a question which has yet to, which I don't have the answer to at present. But quite frankly, uh, the silver market is in a deficit market now. When you look at the yearly supply and the yearly demand. Um, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. So these, you know, combined shortfalls of the last uh, two years, they offset completely the cumulative sur surpluses of the past 11 years. So that's where we are today. Which is amazing because those surpluses were building up for a period of time and yes. to see them completely depleted over such a short period with these numbers is, is quite impressive. I agree. I agree. Is there any, you called it a new era and that's because of the supply demand dynamics. Is that correct? But mm -hmm. do you have any, how long will this new era persist? Do you think, or 
it's just too hard to tell. Right it's now. hard to tell right now, but we are looking at the numbers through our consultants at Metals Focus, and they project mm -hmm. 140 million ounces this year, which would be, I mean, it, that's a high number. It's not 237, yeah. but still, it's a high number. I don't know what 2024 um, begets, but I do believe that the deficits will continue based on their analysis and what they've told us. This must kind of complicate the, the picture a little bit for a price forecast. Mm -hmm. In addition to, I don't know if you can speak at all a little bit to that, sure. but there's so much geopolitical risk and so much risk around the forecast for what the Fed will do with their rates this year as well, that there's a lot of uncertainty. Right. So, you know, I, I, I you know, price forecasting is difficult, of course, but everybody wants to know um from other entities like the World Gold Council or the Platinum Group or whomever, um, what is their price forecast? I think one of the best models of price forecasting is what the London Bullion Market Association does at the beginning of each calendar year. And they gather together 30 leading analysts and, and market participants, and they give their, their number uh, for the upcoming year. And for 2023, silver had the best outlook, about an 8% increase basis the closing price of 2022. So we're, we're comfortable in saying that, uh, that silver will show a full year average of about $23.20, which means it's going to have to get a lot higher, 28, 29, in order for it to hit the average of 23. Um, we've seen some lows earlier in the year, but I'm comfortable with that number. And that seems to be the base case number of the London Bullion Market Association forecasters as well. So one thing to keep note is that, um, you know, we saw record silver demand last year, as we've already mentioned, a record deficit. And even so, the annual average price still weakened by about 14 percent in 2022 basis 2021. So. We're forecasting a new high for industrial demand, and uh, that, along with coin and bar demand, will be in, will be important to helping set a floor for the silver price this year. But we're hopeful that the price goes higher, um, but it's going to depend on so many other factors. Will the Fed cut rates this year? Some people say yes. A lot of people say no. Um, will they raise again? You know, again, we don't know. So... That's going to, those are two factors that are really going to determine um, precious metals prices and silver as we get through the end of 2022 or three. There's so much uncertainty for sure. I think my career background is macro and foreign exchange. And um, I don't think I've ever seen such a dispersion in opinion about mm -hmm. what the Fed will do or what the U.S. economy will do through <clears throat> banks, um, hedge funds, really, really brilliant people in the market who are completely disagreeing with each other about the course of how this year will proceed. Right. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's just a lot of uncertainty. And as we kind of know, I mean, the Federal Reserve itself has not done a good job of forecasting inflation the last um, two years either. Oh. So yeah, it's been a, a tough market. When we get back to, when we talk about uncertainty um, and we talk about, you, you mentioned that retail traders um, tend to hold are stickier and they hold the, the silver, are they using it kind of as a, a proxy for gold or are they using it as a safe haven? Silver has safe haven properties as well, but it also has that industrial, a lot yeah. of industrial. 
I think that's a great question. You know, the duality of the metal is both a precious metal and an industrial metal really attracts a lot of silver investors. Um, if you look at gold, for example, it's mostly used in jewelry and then investment. And there's a small section of gold that's used in industrial applications. Uh, whereas in silver, over 50% is used in industrial applications. And then the other categories follow suit. So it, 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 with investment being a, a real close second to industrial use, and then followed by jewelry and, and other uses. But there are a lot of people, a lot of investors that look at that market, um, the industrial market. I mean, silver has such a wide range of uses. It's literally in everything we use. Everything that has an on and off switch um, contains some amount of silver. Um, so it's in our computers. It's making this call possible. It's in our cars. It's in our phones. It's in everything we have is our appliances, our white goods. So, you know, silver does have that... Uh, that uh, uh, th those qualities, not to mention its health qualities. Now, while there's not a lot of silver used in medicine, maybe eight to 10 million ounces a year, and that includes water purification, um, you find hospitals that all the coatings on the medical goods have silver um, on them, uh, silver catheters, silver bandages. Um, EMTs in the United States have silver bandages in the back of, uh, of their trucks to help burn victims, accident victims, and so forth, because it works. It's a natural antibacterial, and it heals infection faster than if you did not put a silver-based product on that wound. So silver is a more all-encompassing metal, and I think a lot of people are attracted to those qualities and invest in silver as such. I think... What about its performance in a recession? And I know it's hard because though mm -hmm. we think of it as industrial and jewelry, so you might think in a recession, consumers would stop spending on jewelry and perhaps industrial would fall as well. But the industrial sectors you described, it seems pretty diversified. Like we're, we're not going to stop healthcare or maybe not even the EV industry in terms of, you know, future production forecasts that kind of have to march forward, especially if the recession, if a, if a recession comes, you know, it could be varying lengths, it could be short. So do you have any performance of silver around recession periods? Or? Well, I mean, look at it this way. The, the, the silver has, is a safe haven metal. While it may not be the safe haven metal that gold is, a lot of people buy silver as a safe haven metal. Um, they hold it, they store it. Uh, they invest in paper products like ETPs and so forth for various reasons. But one is as a safe haven. Now, in a recessionary period, you know, we, we could see a small dip in the silver price, right? And in other metals prices as well. Um, and then that's just no secret. But the, 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 the folks that are really true silver bugs, silver believers, um, will, and silver stackers, you just go to Twitter and you look up silver stacker. People are showing off all the silver they have. I don't see that on the gold side, but I certainly see it on the silver side. People are very proud of their silver. They hold it. They, they keep it in their homes. Um, and some choose not to. Some use a third-party custodian for bigger purchases. But there seems to be a lot of enthusiasm around silver these days. And um, it's based on many factors, which are really catered to that individual investor. But a recession, of course, will hurt the silver price. 
um, down the road, um, and as, as it will other precious metals. Uh, but like you mentioned, it depends on how long that recession lasts and so forth. But um, we think silver investment uh, is going to have another strong year this year, maybe not as strong as last year, but it'll still be a, a, a very good year for silver. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I think there's a growing sentiment around the precious commodity space in general, seeing platinum perform well, as well as the inflows <laughs> into gold and silver. They've really started to gain momentum in the conversation. And I think that's one of the interesting factors around where we're seeing silver currently and in comparison to where the dollar is trending as well. And speaking again mm -hmm. to that safe haven aspect. I totally agree. I, I absolutely agree. You know, when we were in India uh, last week, uh, they, they are relatively new to paper products with respect to ETPs or ETFs. Two years on the market, they already have about 10 million ounces of silver in the various products they have there. Now, that's not, you can't compare that to the SLV, but the SLV has been on the market since 2006. Uh, one of the things that Indians are very keen to uh, explore is digital silver and investing in digital notes and so forth or coins that are backed by physical silver. And that market, while it's not taken off as quickly as the ETP market is, it's really new. It's less than a year old. Uh, it's another factor in the whole investment complex um, in that one particular country. So. Look at the interest in silver is strong. The interest in silver investment is very, very strong. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, there are investors who look at all those aspects before making a decision um, if, to, to, to buy silver in any form. Yeah, it's interesting. I think our our commodity, the diamond um, commodity that, you know, mm -hmm. Kenny, our founder, has made um it, it's on the blockchain so yeah it's interesting too um, right yeah digitalization and how <clears throat> if someone holds the physical and they hold the physical commodity our physical commodity um in a vault at, at brinks um if they want to trade it but you know sell it or, or buy more they can go on to our spot exchange and all that they have to do is exchange the token they don't have to you know move the physical oh that's great so, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we need to start putting more diamonds on silver and we need to change the paradigm <laughs> out of platinum, out of gold into silver. Listen, yeah. all you all you to be engaged folks out there. Silver is beautiful. <laughs> it's wonderful. You don't need to buy the platinum or the gold while they are beautiful. Silver is just as sharp, just as shiny. Uh, we like yeah. to see more of that. We're seeing a lot of colored stones and other products okay. going on to silver. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, it, it's a dynamic that has been really been pushed by Pandora, uh, but it's yeah. also going to other stores as well. I mean, we have some amazing designers in the silver jewelry space throughout the world. And uh, some of the unique designs that they're doing is quite fascinating. You know, I'll speak to two quick programs here that we run. We run one okay. in Peru and one in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So they're the two leading silver mining countries in the world, China being number third. Um, they have really low silver jewelry impact, meaning they're not buying a lot of silver jewelry. So we, they put on these contests and so forth for silver 
artisans in these two respective countries. And the work that they do is quite fascinating. And um, yeah. we're hopeful that those numbers pick up in those two countries. But quite frankly, I've been in places in China where they're in the hinterlands of China and you can see silver artisans in these huge or very, very small huts making silver jewelry, but they're selling them at these large retail outlets right out their back door where tourists come in and they buy the silver jewelry, which was just made across the street. So it's quite fascinating to see in that country. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think when I go to Mexico, I feel like I always see really beautiful oh, silver yes. jewelry, but it, it's like artisans who are making it. Yes, yeah. the consumption level, you know, per a national basis is not as high as we would like, but those numbers mm -hmm. are ticking up. And um, we think that some of our programs will help at least educate the consumer um, in both Peru and Mexico of the fine work that their countries are doing with respect to silver jewelry. Will we be able to get silver jewelry in five years with all this industrial like <laughs> use coming? I feel like we need to buy it now and sell it to Elon Musk in five years or something. Well, I think you'll be able to. I think you'll be able to. And there's some new project mining projects coming online this year. We're calling for a small increase of supply of about 2%. Um, and that's really a result of those projects I mentioned that were sort of held up because of COVID, but now they're, they're coming online. Um, there hasn't been a real major silver discovery in many years, but there's been some consolidation in this space, which will afford these companies, these mining companies to, uh, to not only explore, but also mine um, silver going down the road. That's one of the really interesting aspects as well is kind of the global mining <coughs> expansion conversation mm -hmm. as well as the world's use and consumption of silver. Uh, outside of Mexico and Peru and some of the other emerging markets, I know we've spoken a lot about India. <coughs> Are there any other areas where you'd see immediate uh, growth potential? I think Canada. I think uh, the United States has, has, has more potential as well. Um, and I think there are other countries in Latin America, South America, and so forth, Australia. You know, silver mining, um, silver itself, when it comes to the earth, is really a result of other mining activities. So 70% of silver that is mined is a byproduct of other mining activities. So whether that be gold, lead, zinc, or copper mining, there is always some silver contained in there. So... 30% of mines, I think it was 29% last year, came from what's known as a primary silver mine. So there's relatively few of those in the world, but the other mining activities still lead to the amount of silver, the numbers that we see with overall mine production. And then, of course, there's, of course, there's recycling of silver, um, and uh, that adds a couple hundred million ounces of silver to the supply side each year and we think that's going to grow nominally this year as well but uh, that leads to the overall number of uh, a total supply of silver to the market is that hard to estimate the amount of recycling that's going to take place it's one of the here? hardest it's one of the hardest things to forecast in the whole in, in, in all of metals the amount of recycling so for you know last year we have uh, one of the industrial sides is, is called ethylene oxide um, EO, catalysis, catalyst, and so forth. Um, 
they have uh, spent catalyst uh, chambers and um, they have to be recycled. Um, I can't remember how many years, but two or three years. So when those start to go bad or they need to be rechanged, that adds to the supply dynamic. Interestingly, when the price of gold and silver go higher, levels say at silver above 30, you'll see a lot of people sell their silver jewelry and silverware back to the market for cash. You'll start seeing signs in jewelry stores and other, we buy gold, we buy silver. Um, oh, interesting. And people will, you know, to get a little extra walking around money, uh, will sell their silver and gold back to these, uh, these retailers. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that, especially in New York City. I feel like you're seeing signs there, but I'll monitor here uh, in Florida as well. Like a, a leading indicator, maybe. <laughs> if the price gets above a certain level, you'll see those signs more and more, no doubt. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So um, I know we talked about the price. We kind of talked about the deficit and the supply. We talked about strong India demand last year, which well, you mentioned it'll probably be a little lower last year because it's just kind of like outsized. I mean, lower mm -hmm. this year because it's a little outsized last year, probably due to catching up from pandemic closures and, and things like that. Um, but the retail, the price, I mean, the overall price you were saying was, was lower in 2022, despite this kind of strong demand and, and the deficit. Did that, right. what was that, what was driving that? Was that Institutional. It, was, it, it was institutional. It we, we, we really we really label that as an institutional phenomenon. Um, okay. The interest has been high in certain years. It just wasn't as high as it was last year. And of course, we're confronting algorithms, uh, uh, quick computer trades um, that are somewhat suppressing prices, not just in gold and silver, but in other markets as well. Uh, but we think that's going to come around. Okay. And we think that will really come around again, and we don't think that's going to happen until the latter part of this year. But the retail side is going to be fine. It's the institutional oh. investment, which has somewhat depressed the price to look at. I remember when the silver price was $5 an ounce, okay? And I remember when the only industrial use that people knew about silver was photography. So right. we had roughly about 40 million ounces of silver going into photography last year. And that's mm -hmm. predominantly in developing countries, um, some x-rays, some motion picture and so forth. But look at, that's a 40 million ounce market that was a 240 million ounce market, okay? Mm -hmm. But the silver industrial side, the complex has not gone away. It's only right. attracted other arenas, uh, whether that be greener technologies. I mean, we like to say at the Silver Institute that silver is a green metal. It's used in all of these applications. It's used in solar and EV. It's used in PV and solar. So, um, and they play a prominent role. And when the price gets to a certain point, yes, manufacturers do look to thrift out silver. Um, and that has happened over the course of the last 10 years. But the number of installations on the solar PV side has increased at such a level that the amount of silver use has increased as well. So um, yeah. you're seeing governments, you're seeing states in California, like California or Massachusetts, um, mm -hmm. mandating solar power electricity by certain years. You're seeing EV uh, uh, standards being looked at by 2030. 
um, in the United States alone. So whether those targets can be met, I don't know, but it's good for silver. Yeah, it's amazing. It's such a dynamic metal. Uh, it seems to have a, an evolution of its own. It, it keeps evolving, even though some industries it go away. And it never sleeps. Up. It never sleeps, Amelia. Yeah. Silver's, silver's around you all the time. <laughs> well, we're going to keep a lookout for it. Um, we hope that you can join us again. Once again, um, we wanted to thank you for your time. Thank you. And uh, everyone can find, once again, uh, we'll link the silver survey or the mm -hmm. world silver survey in our, uh, in our podcast notes. And you can go to silverinstitute.org and you can download it. That would Thanks be great. Time. Yeah. And please sign up for our newsletter, which is free. It's a bi-monthly newsletter and our press releases and all that. And the various reports we put out on silver above and beyond the world Silver survey throughout the year. So thank you all for your time. Thank, thank you. you. You bet. Materials presented are not intended to be a recommendation, solicitation, or offer to buy or sell any securities, financial instruments, investments, or to participate in any particular investment strategy. The content and opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a guarantee of future results, performance, or outcomes. Before acting on any information or content presented herein, you should consult with a qualified financial professional, tax advisor, or legal counsel to determine the suitability, risks, and potential rewards of any investment or financial strategy for your individual circumstances, financial situation, and risk tolerance.